2 Peter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of idolatry, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezir, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Good morning, everyone. My name's Jack, we haven't met, and I hope you enjoyed that little festive reading. Say what you will, but I, for one, am looking forward to our extended series in Herod over the festive series. It's not going to happen, don't worry. Well, one of the great medical achievements uh, over the last 50-odd years has been the eradication of polio. 
Uh, polio uh, is a particularly awful disease that affects children mainly under the age of five. Uh, it causes the muscles uh, to weaken and to disintegrate, uh, often leading to paralysis and in extreme cases, death. Uh, there's no cure for it. Uh, there's no reversing of its effects. Uh, it's a threat that has devastating effects on, people's fam- on people, uh, on families and communities. Uh, but to give you a scale of the eradication that has occ- occurred, the achievement, well, in 1988 it was estimated that there were over 350,000 cases of polio worldwide. And yet in 2000, Australia was declared polio-free. And the estimated cases of polio worldwide had dropped from 350,000 worldwide to six in 2021. Six reported cases worldwide, contained to three different countries. Uh, It's a pretty extraordinary achievement. Uh, But what happened? Well, there isn't a cure, but there was a prevention. By acknowledging that you could get this disease, it became possible to inoculate yourself against it, to take active steps to ensure that polio didn't get a footing. Well, in our passage this morning, Peter describes a threat, a disease in a sense that could devastate the church, a threat that was real and needed to be taken seriously. Uh, But these passages don't exist in the scriptures to scare us, but instead to help us to prevent them happening, to give us a warning so that we can inoculate ourselves against them. We have an amazing community here at Barney's. Uh, I was reminded of it again this morning as we did the tree trimming, as we put things up. Uh, It's a beautiful community and hopefully you experienced some of that here at church and GCs and DNAs. But more than that, we have a wonderful saviour to proclaim, Jesus. But the question for us this morning is how do we protect this? How do we make sure that we continue to be a functioning church that honours Jesus, is growing in love for Jesus, one another and the world? That's what we're going to have a look at. So let me pray before we jump into the Bible. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us now by your spirit. Teach those who need to be taught. Rebuke those of us who need to be rebuked. And bring comfort and healing to those of us who are suffering or in pain. And we pray, Father, that your spirit will be moving now uh, as we read your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we get into 2 Peter 2 this morning, this is a hard passage. Uh, I'm not sure how you felt uh, as it was read out. Uh, As someone who doesn't particularly like confrontation, it's quite an uncomfortable passage, right? Uh, The language is strong. Uh, If you've got your Bibles there, have them open as we make our way through them, and there's an outline there as well. Uh, But have a look at verse 12. They... These false teachers are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Or that final line that Darcy read out for us, verse 22, of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed 
returns to her wallowing in the mud. You can feel the emotion that is behind these words. Peter is on the attack. Uh, and I think it's, un- it's uncomfortable for us because the language here seems less like the fruit of the Spirit and more a little bit more like the toxic political rhetoric that often plagues our discourse. Uh, is this just Peter punching back, trying to shore up his position as top apostle? Don't apologise. If they swing, you swing harder. It's easy to think that perhaps we should just skip chapter 2. Peter has just got a little bit too angry. It's uncomfortable. Let's give it a miss for today. Or perhaps that Peter is somehow justified in this strength. This is, after all, Peter's last will and testament. 2 Peter 2 is the last thing that the apostle will write. His final words to a fledgling church that he's about to give his life for. Remember, Peter writes this with the full expectation that he's about to be executed. And so he chooses his words carefully. This is a final plea and a warning to that church. So what is 2 Peter 2 all about? Well, 2 Peter 2 gives us both a warning and a comfort. A warning that false teachers are going to arise who will twist the hope that we have in order to exploit and abuse. And a comfort. God is sovereign and he will rescue his church. So let's begin by having a look at the warning. Uh, And we see this warning in verses 1 to 3. Read those verses with me now. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Uh, These verses here really set up the problem. Uh, In this fragile and fledgling church, false teachers are arising, false teachers who are obscuring the truth of the gospel. And there's a few things for us to note about these teachers. Uh, We've got the who, the what, and the why. Firstly, who are they? Uh, Well, we don't get a huge amount about them, but what we do get is that these false teachers have come from within the church. These are not people who are outside the church. These are people who are inside the church. They are presumably known to everyone in positions of authority and leadership. Uh, It's interesting that consistently throughout the scriptures, the fiercest language is always reserved for corrupt leaders within Israel and within the church. This is an important thing to note. We're not talking about those who are outside the church. The spotlight here is on the church, on us. This is about corruption within the church. So that's the who, they come from within. The secondly, what are they doing? Well, they, the false teachers, will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That is, they will twist the scriptures. Uh, These people aren't necessarily coming up with anything new. They are beginning with the scriptures, they present as faithful teachers but then they are twisting the word and offering alternate interpretations. And you can see the extent of it, twisting it so much that they can end up even denying the sovereign Lord 
who bought them. Uh, there is a reason for what it's worth that we hand out Bibles and ask you to have them open. Uh, part of it is so that, as the preacher is preaching, you can check what is being said against the Scriptures, so that together as a community we can ensure that the Scriptures are not being twisted. The who, the what, and the why, thirdly, why are they doing this? Well, verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Uh, It's the motivation that really exposes these false teachers. Whereas Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, whereas Peter is about to lay down his life for the sheep, these teachers are about to fleece the sheep. They want to exploit them. Uh, The words there, greed and exploitation, both have financial implications. These teachers are using their positions to make money, to put wealth in their own pockets. They are enriching themselves at the expense of those they are supposed to be leading. But no doubt, of course, this would have gone well beyond the financial. Exploiting vulnerable women who are helpless and exposed in a patriarchal world. Stoking the anger of young men into patterns of behaviour that are destructive and self-sabotaging. You can see how all of this happens, right? Because we've been seeing it for the past 2,000 years. There isn't really a gap between the first century and now. What we're talking about is leaders who are abusing and exploiting their positions of power. And this is all too painfully and horribly familiar. And for some of you, sitting here today, this is not just something theoretical. This is part of your lived experience. Uh, And so it's important that we just pause here uh, for a moment. Realities that the church has had to face uh, is that rates of abuse are often the same inside the church as they are outside the church. It might be domestic violence, it might be spiritual abuse from a pastor. So we need to pause here just for a moment. And I just want to be really clear and practical just for a couple of minutes. And that is, it's important to keep saying, there is no room for abuse in any way, shape or form in the Church of Jesus Christ. And if any pastor or leadership team has excused abuse away, has swept it under the carpet, has justified it in any way, have discouraged disclosures, then they are the false teachers that 2 Peter 2 is warning about. And I want to say that if this has been your experience, then we are so, so sorry that you have had to experience this kind of evil. And I hope that there is some comfort in the fact that while you have been failed by the church, the sovereign Lord has seen and he will not fail to bring about justice, especially against those who have failed you in the church. But if this has happened to you in the past, if you would like to speak about it. I'd just like to encourage you, Ben and Kate on staff uh, are always happy uh, and are there to be able to chat and to be able to help and walk with you in this. Uh, We should say as well that as part of the Anglican Church, uh, those in leadership, uh, both staff uh, and the PLT and others as well, uh, have had to sign uh, what's called Faithfulness in Service. Uh, This is the Anglican Church's Code of Conduct. Uh, They've also had to undergo screening and police checks Uh, and given training uh, in order to make sure that we can actually have a safe environment uh, for all. Uh, But we're aware uh, that perhaps uh, it's happening now, perhaps it will happen in the future. 
Uh, and if this is the case, uh, and even if it's not, it's really important to understand the processes uh, that we have set up here and that this is something that we take really seriously. As I said, uh, Ben and Kate have had training, so have uh, the PLT, uh, but we also have Holly. Uh, she's not here today, but she's our safe ministry coordinator. Uh, we're very thankful for the work that she does, uh, but she is someone who you can go to as well. Uh, but if you feel uncomfortable uh, coming to someone in leadership, order Holly. Uh, then we want to say as well on uh, the Anglican uh, website, uh, there are ways uh, and uh, there's phone numbers that you can call uh, if you want to make a disclosure. Uh, but also out in the kitchen, uh, there are a couple of posters that we've got up there as well, uh, that if you need to make a disclosure or report something, uh, then the numbers to do that are there, uh, and you can do that without having to come uh, to anyone in leadership here as well. Uh, but we do want you to speak up uh, if you do see something, uh, because we want to make sure that Barney's is a safe place, a place for everyone, and particularly a place that is few, uh, free from abuse and exploitation. Uh, so if you see or experience anything, then please speak up, um, either to someone in leadership uh, or through the helplines uh, that are available. Let's unpause and come back uh, into the passage here. And as we get back into the text, uh, we can begin to see why Peter uses such strong language for these people. Uh, but there's a further reason that we need to see. And we see it clearly when we place chapter 2 against the background of chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, Peter articulates a positive vision of the Christian life. Uh, it's this kind of positive spiral upwards. We receive the grace of God that empowers us, and so because of that, we make every effort to grow in godliness. And how do we discover the grace of God? Well, through the Holy Spirit working through the Scriptures. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, the gospel, communicated through the scriptures by the power of the Spirit, is the hope of this world. It is the light in the darkness. It is our only hope. And what are the false teachers trying to do in chapter 2? They are trying to extinguish this hope. And so the fury and ferocity that Peter feels is the same as we should feel towards this guy who James is going to put up on the screen. I'm not sure if any of you guys recognise him. Uh, his name is Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli ran a pharmaceutical company that would buy out-of-patent and drugs, create a monopoly on them, and then inflate the price of the drug. Most famously, he took Daraprim, an antibiotic life-saving drug for HIV sufferers, and he hiked the price from $13.50 a pill to over $750 a pill. That's an increase of 5,455%. He took a drug that was for its takers, their salvation on this earth, and he ripped it out of their grasp. He exploited them in his greed in a shameless attempt to create wealth. They had a hope, they had light in the darkness, and he coolly took it away from them. And how we feel about someone like Martin is how Peter feels about these false teachers. 
the scriptures contain the light of the world. And these false teachers are trying to extinguish that light. It is no wonder that he reserves such strong language for them. We won't spend too long in verses 10b to 22, uh, but we'll just hit a few highlights. He comes in it from a few different angles. Uh, Look at 10b there. He says, bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Uh, That is, these are the types of people who, if visited by an angel, would attempt to extort the angel. These are not good people. All these two vivid metaphors in verse 17. These people are springs without water. They're like mists driven by a storm. That is, there is no substance to them. They have nothing to offer. But perhaps the best picture is of what they do offer in verses 19. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Now these false teachers are a little bit like those low-level drug dealers that you see in TV shows who are desperate to corrupt others because they themselves have been so compromised. You know, the church in recent years has had its fair share of scandals. And sometimes you hear of these scandals and you don't really know the person and so you can sort of dismiss it. Or you think, well, this couldn't possibly happen in my circle, in my church. There have been a couple that have hit particularly close to home recently. Not sure if any of you have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. That's a podcast that has detailed the abuses of Mark Driscoll, a man whose books I have on my bookshelf, who had impacted many in this congregation. It was gutting listening to the abuses laid bare, seeing 2 Peter 2 played out in real life. Or Ravi Zacharias, his apologetics I loved growing up and were formative for me. But he used those truths to exploit and abuse numerous people in order to fulfill his lustful desires. He's also a 2 Peter 2 false teacher. There is a danger that we could think that these people don't exist. But they do. They are out there. But the other problem is that when we see it, when we look at the church, we look at the corruption and we see these things, it's so easy to be overwhelmed. What is going on? How do we process it? I love the old hymn, The Church is One Foundation, and it has a verse that often gets left out, but it articulates this so beautifully. Though with a scornful wonder the world sees her oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, Yet saints, their watcher keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Well, if that's the problem, even in those verses, it begins to move to a comfort, a comfort that is also here in this passage. And here is the comfort. The sovereign Lord will bring about justice. Or to put it another way, the sovereign Lord is just going to keep on sovereigning. It's fascinating that the way, very thing that the false teachers are denying, the sovereign Lord, is also the very guarantee and the comfort of those they oppress. And we get this great paragraph from verses 4 through to 10a, which makes use of 
uh, the conditional statement. Uh, if this, then that statement. Uh, but it builds this tension by giving a string of ifs while we wait for the then to be revealed. And Peter strings three examples together. Have a look at with the there. If, verse 4, God did not spare angels, but sent them to hell for judgment. And if, verse 5, he did not spare the ancient people with the flood, but protected Noah. And if, who were condemned for their abuses, but he rescued Lot, a righteous man, if he did all of these things, if, 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 verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Uh, You can see the effect of this, can't you? Peter is pointing back to God's character. Our God is a God who is unchanging. He is faithful. He is sovereign. And he will bring about justice. Notice this as we went through. His justice and his mercy go hand in hand. He will both judge the unrighteous. He will both judge the unrighteous but save the righteous. He will rescue those from trials. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Uh, It's an idea that underpins our modern concept of progress. It used to be Barack Obama's favourite saying, the hope that our world is becoming a better place, a more just place. But the problem that our world has is that on any secular account of our world, this is not self-evidently true. There is no bend towards justice on a Darwinian evolutionary account of the world. There is simply survival of the fittest. And if the material world exists, if there is no God, then it must be humans who pull the ark towards justice. But that only begs the question, doesn't it? Because it's almost always humans who create the injustice in the first place. And that's the funny thing about this. Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking out of his Christian worldview at this moment. The arc of the universe towards justice can only occur if there is a sovereign God of justice who is bending it to himself. And this is what Peter is saying. This is God's character. This is the way that he has operated time and time again. And we have seen his character most clearly and most vividly as Jesus died on the cross. That moment where justice and mercy met, where salvation was won. And it is this comfort that Peter offers the church at this moment. The Lord sees what is happening. He knows his church, but he will save those who are faithful. And he will bring about justice for those who twist the truth. And the cross and the resurrection is the guarantee that final judgment will occur, where all sin, abuse and exploitation will be eliminated. And so when we get overwhelmed, we can look out of ourselves, look out of the church and cast our eyes on our perfect saviour, Jesus. So if that's the warning and that is the comfort How do we make sure that we heed this warning uh, and take this comfort here at Barney's? 
Well, we've talked about the fact that if you see disease coming, then you can inoculate yourself against it. You can take steps to prepare yourself. And so three ways that we can inoculate ourselves against false teachers and the warnings that we have here in 2 Peter 2. The first thing to do is to admit that it can happen here. Uh, It's so easy when we read these passages like this to think uh, about those people out there, that church down the street, that celebrity pastor over there. But this warning is for us here and now. It is for our church. And so we need to take this warning carefully and seriously. Uh, The people in these passages, remember, are from within the church, presumably in good standing, yet they have wandered from the truth, which means that it can happen to anyone. So what are some things we can do? Well, check what is being said from the front against the Scriptures. Be making sure that whoever is up the front is not twisting what is being said. Take the time to encourage Ben and Kate whenever you get the opportunity. And speak up if something doesn't seem right. Uh, As a faithful old saint once said to me, uh, it's better to stand too close than to stand too far away. Better to ask the question and get an answer for it than to never say anything and wait for the giant explosion. Always better to stand too close than to stand too far away. Secondly, we need to remain committed to growing in our character and our convictions. Uh, we've seen this dynamic between character and As your conviction grows, so also your character grows. And as your character grows, so also your convictions grow. That positive spiral upwards we saw in chapter 1 is then matched by its opposite in chapter 2. When your convictions slide, so also your character slides. And as your character slides, so also your convictions will slide. This is why uh, one of the things we've been doing as a church as we head into 2023 uh, is to be developing our own personal discipleship plans. Uh, This is a way that we can ensure that we are moving forward in our spiritual lives. And as we do that, we inoculate ourselves against the sober warnings that we've been seeing today. Uh, I read a great little book a couple of years ago called Reset. Uh, It's a book about ministry resilience, a guy called David Murray. Uh, And here's David Murray's kind of version of this warning. He says this, Most of us, even most pastors, do not have specific aims or purposes for our spiritual growth. We just drift along, half-heartedly trying to try harder, vaguely hoping for some positive changes, but without any particular focus or plan. That means we rarely make much progress, and even if we do happen to advance in some areas, We don't notice it and take encouragement from it. Now, I was hoping to get to my personal development plan, discipleship plan last week, uh, but it all got too busy. It's so easy to happen, isn't it? Uh, So I'm making sure that I'm going to put aside some time this week to actually make sure that I do it, actually get it done. Uh, And so if you're struggling for motivation to get it done, well, remember the warning from this passage. We can all slip but one of the comforts from 2 Peter 2 is that because of the grace of God that we have been given, we can make every effort in these areas. But thirdly and finally, let's remember the comfort. And the comfort is not about us. 
We make every effort, but our efforts are grounded in what Christ has already done for us. It is God who will rescue the faithful. He will rescue from trials, from false teachers. Uh, Dorothy L. Sayers once quipped that Jesus suffered three humiliations. The first was his incarnation. The second was his death on the cross. And the third was that he entrusted his reputation to the church. It's a great little saying. Why did God choose us? Why did he choose this church to carry his reputation? But it's important to remember that in his incarnation, God came to be with us in the flesh. This was the light in the darkness. At his death, as he atoned, he atoned for our sins. And out of the weakness and brokenness of the church, his gospel, the hope of the world, is proclaimed to a world in need. This is the way that our God has worked. A God who works through weakness in order that his power might be displayed. Let me pray as we finish there. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, loves us enough to warn us, uh, to warn us of what can happen if we wander from the truth. Father, help us to be a community here at Barney's that is free from abuse and exploitation, that is free from the twisting of the scriptures, but rather we are a community that holds aloft the light which is this hope of the world and that we demonstrate this life and this love in the way that we care for one another and as the way that we proclaim the gospel. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.